Is my, okay, I think is my microphone working? It's the question I was going to ask, but it is working. So that's wonderful. Well, once again, thank you very much for uh, the privilege of coming and preaching to you and greeting you in the season of Lent, the season uh, that we journey towards Easter and towards the cross. And so this morning's sermon is going to focus on what it means to tell the truth to God, which we've just done in this service, the idea of confession. And now confession is linked to sin. So let us begin with a prayer. Please bow your heads and pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit, our hearts inspire. Come, enlighten us with your celestial fire. For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. And if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. Come and be with us, we pray, in the name of your beloved. Amen. If we look at Psalm 51, which was just read to us, Psalm 51 is believed to be the most recited psalm in all of the Bible. It's considered a penitential psalm, where the psalmist focuses the first part of the psalm on the consequences of wrongdoing. Within the canon of Scripture, David is believed to be its author. While scholars differ on this, one thing they can all agree is that if David didn't write it or pray it, he certainly should have. David and his affair with Bathsheba, which will be known to most of us, gives a good backstory and understanding to this psalm. With that entire ordeal in the background, the affair, the lying, David sending Bathsheba's husband Uriah onto the front lines of war to be killed makes for almost a cinematic backdrop to understand this prayer. And here we have a prayer. What can we say about a prayer? Can we learn anything from it? Is it even proper to preach on? I can hear one of my seminary professors in the background saying, instructing first-year preaching students to never preach on the Psalms, their liturgical acts. You don't use someone's prayer journal as the text for your sermon. However, I think I couldn't disagree more. In the world in which we live, we need this prayer now more than ever. I'm not sure if you've noticed, but the idea of confessing, of owning wrongdoing, is quite the novel concept nowadays. In the church, we say confession is good for the soul, but it turns out that it's not so true in the halls of power or anywhere else, for that matter. You can take note of this anytime you hear a politician trying to take responsibility for wrongdoing. Oftentimes, they will do so in the passive voice. They will say things like, mistakes were made, or not the more powerful and the more active, I made a mistake, I did something wrong, but rather, things went wrong. Forgiveness, now forget about it, that's not something that's very popular either. You'd have better luck playing the lottery. I can think of one time during the 2016 U.S. Uh, election where one of the candidates was asked if they had ever sought forgiveness from anyone else, and that person responding, no, never had to. And yet in this psalm we have both. We have an admission of guilt and a plea for mercy and forgiveness. Now, given the fact that we find ourselves in let, it's fitting that this psalm is given to us on, in our time and place. Sin, as both a word and a concept, are not necessarily something we are very comfortable talking about. And I don't mean on an airplane or anything, or I mean in church and in prayer and in prayer to God. 
I can remember the first time I became aware of sin. Interestingly enough, it wasn't my own sin that I became acutely aware of. I was on a mission trip in Mexico, and I was spending the day in a landfill helping some of the people that lived in and around that landfill, whose daily job was to scavenge for tin cans so that they could collect them and sell them and make, have enough money to feed their families. What I can remember of that day and in that place are the smells and also the amount of flies and insects that were just too strong and too present in my memory to forget. The thing that broke my heart that day was the realization that some of the children there had to stop going to school because they had to help their parents look for the cans in order to buy food for that day and every day. Some of you who have lived in other places in the world will know this reality. I remember falling apart in the middle of this trash heap, just moved to absolute tears and emotion, thinking, here, there is something wrong. This is not the way things are supposed to be. This situation is so, so sinful. To some extent, our allergy to sin is understandable. You might say that we are in a time of correction. We're trying to find our way back from an era in the church and in history where all we talked about and all we focused on was wrongdoing. All we focused on was behavior. All we focused on was the word sin in church. For a very long time, sin was louder, spoken from the pulpit in such a way that was louder and more important than words like Jesus or cross, grace, or my all-time favorite Christian word, love. Perhaps now we've swung the pendulum back the other way, and we talk about grace and forgiveness and a loving God, forgetting that it was sin that sent Jesus to the cross on Good Friday. Sin is a reality, and it's not a pretty one. The poet in today's psalm gets right to the heart of the matter in what one commentator calls a liturgy of the broken heart or a poem of the broken heart. Psalm 51 describes the gravity of the person's wrongdoing. The writer here describes that they have made mistakes. They've transgressed, and they need to be cleansed. They need to be washed. And if David is the one who's speaking here, then we can fully understand why. David has blood on his hands. He was supposed to be someone who had a heart after God's own heart. And if this kind of stuff can happen to David, why would we dare believe that it can't happen to us? In this psalm, David is aware of his wrongdoing. He seeks forgiveness. He knows his heart is troubled and he's sinned against God. But interestingly, God and God alone is the one that David has sinned against. Of course, we know this isn't true. David has sinned at least, at least against other people. So what do we make of this? One way for us to make sense of this is to say that for David, sin isn't just about guilt or injury, although it has those dimensions involved. Rather, for David, sin is a word that describes his relationship with the transcendent God. That's important for us as we travel through Lent. We're so often tempted to judge sin in the other person and the wrongdoing in others. However, what we're invited to today in this psalm, it would appear, is to think about the way that sin functions to break the relationship we have with the divine, with God. Sin is first and foremost this false belief 
that we somehow can make our own futures, that we are God, that we're not creatures, that we're not limited, that the wrongdoing we commit is just a byproduct of the way the world is. So, if the truth is that we're all broken people, that we live in a broken world, and that brokenness is something that we always seek to hide, not only from God, but from ourselves, then how do we get to this place that David gets to? How do we come to know about sin and then overcome it? And the answer seems to be God's covenantal love. For David, it was a word from the prophet Nathan that despite all he did, the Lord had taken away his sin. That act of mercy was enough for David to see his own transgressions in the light of God's steadfast love and God's forgiveness. It's this reality, the reality that God has not given up on us, that that moves David to confession. You see, God knows each and every one of us through and through. God knows the worst about us, those things we would never even speak of, what David describes as his innermost being, his secret heart. But though we try to seal away our secret self, it turns out that the secret heart, the things that we want to hide from other people, are no obstacle for God loving us. God's love breaks through, always, and in every instance, God's love breaks through. How does God's love break through? Well, we know, we know, Scripture tells us that God's love is broken through in history, in time, and in place, in this world, the world that you and I inhabit, in the person of Jesus Christ. Just like David needed a revelation from God to really see himself, we too need the revelation of God in Jesus Christ to see ourselves clearly. When we see ourselves for who we are as these broken vessels, we can take heart that we are God's own beloved, that God loves us, that God has not given up on us, and God, in fact, has given us a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, to cleanse us, to purify us, and to renew us. Notice that David doesn't ask for more willpower in the psalm. He doesn't ask for more insight. He doesn't ask for a self-help manual or a course to take. No, there's no room for that. What David needs is a new spirit within him. In the psalm, David asks in verse 10, for God to create in him a clean heart and to put a renewed spirit within him. Now, here's an interesting thing for those of you who are biblical geeks around words. The Hebrew word that's used in verse 10 is a word used for create, and the word that's used is bara. Why don't you try saying that? Bara, bara, bara. You know what the interesting thing about bara is? That in the Bible, in the Hebrew scriptures, only God can bara. Only God can bara. Human beings create and make with different words, but the word bara is reserved for God. When God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1, God was bara-ing. <laughs> it connotes the creative action, the creative newness that only God can bring about. In the Bible, only God can create in this way, and that's exactly what God does on the cross. In the cross of Jesus Christ, God gives us a revelation of the gravity of our sin and at the same time gives us an overwhelming vision 
of the power of forgiveness and of love. The cross asks the question, what is stronger in this world? Sin, death, hatred, or love and forgiveness? And the resurrection of Jesus, Easter Sunday, gives us the answer, God. God is stronger than all the forces of evil. God is stronger than sin and death. And God's love, God's love can bring life where there is no life. Friends, Lent is this season where we get to be honest about ourselves, where we get to take account of our own sin, our own failure, our own lack in terms of our relationship with God, not our behavior in the world. We do this in light of the cross, in light of the mercy of God present in the cross and in the resurrection. So we don't pray and fast so that we can move God to love us somehow. Rather, we pray and we fast in this season of Lent because the love and the mercy of God was demonstrated to us on the cross of Christ. So as we journey this season towards Holy Week, as we journey towards Good Friday, as we anticipate Easter, may God grant you and I and all of us here the experience of God's deep and abiding love and mercy, the forgiveness and being put back together in and through the Holy Spirit, giving glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do that, may God bless you. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your demonstration of love, for giving us this psalm in the words of David for us to contemplate this morning, for us to think about not just acting right in the world, not just being good people, but taking account of our relationship with you, tuning our heart to yours, opening our lives to your will, letting the Holy Spirit come into our lives and renew us, wash us clean, purify our hearts so that we can live as living witnesses in this world to the love poured out in Jesus Christ. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. And most of all, thank you for giving us each other this morning so that we can pray and we can support each other as we journey through the Christian life. We give you glory this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.